Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. So today we'll be concluding the I Believe series. How many have enjoyed this series so far? Amen. We've been walking through different challenges, questions, fallacies, and things people have been presenting to try to make people not believe the Word of God. The first week, we talked about the integrity of God's Word. The second week, we talked about who does the Bible really say Jesus is. We talked about the difference between what the Bible says about Jesus and what the Quran says about Jesus. On the third week, we dealt with what does the Bible actually say concerning slavery and different uh, issues on, on those hands. We also today are going to deal with two more questions that people sometimes ask. And one of the things would have to deal with the theory of evolution. And people say, well, how old does the Bible actually say the earth is? Question one today is how old does the Bible say the earth is? Anybody want to take a guess? How old does the Bible say the earth is? Someone looks like this. Someone said 5,000. Say what? It doesn't say. Some of you look at me, this might be a trick question, so we ain't answering. <laughs> Let's go to the book. Go to Genesis 1 1. Genesis 1 1. And one of the things is, as we go through this series, people may have other questions about the Word of God. Now, on our website, fccga.com, we have a section where you can submit a Bible question. So if you have other questions concerning I Believe series or other things we didn't answer or get to, go to the website, enter your question, and we have some creative ways we're going to start answering some questions. So go to fccga.com and enter your question, and we'll answer it accordingly. But Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now what happens when people read these first five verses, they tend to think all the five verses happen in the first 24 hours, right? But it's not true. How do I know that? Go to Isaiah 45, verse 18. Those first five verses did not happen in 24 hours. Always use the Bible to explain the Bible. Interpret Scripture in the light of other Scripture. Out of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. People come up with crazy doctrines when they take one Scripture out of context. Isaiah 45, verse 18. Notice what the Holy Ghost says to the prophet Isaiah. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth, he made it. He hath established it, he created it not in vain. 
That word vain here is the Hebrew word tohu, but we'll get back to that in a minute, why it's important. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Notice what God says to the prophet. I made the earth and the heavens. I did not make it tohu. I made it to be inhabited. Go back to Genesis 1. While you turn there, Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, Our God, he is the rock, his work is perfect. Psalm 111, verse 3 says, His work is honorable and glorious. And we see when he said, Let there be light, and there was light. And you keep going when it says, Let there be, and he saw that it was good. So by that standard, we have nowhere in the word of God to say that God makes anything without form and void. The, word, the phrase without form and void is from the Hebrew, which is tohu vabohu. Tohu means formlessness, confusion, unreality, emptiness, chaos, or waste. Tohu means formlessness, confusion, unreality, emptiness, chaos, or waste. The second word, bohu, means emptiness. E.W. Bullinger says anything that is tohu is uninhabitable. Anything that is tohu is uninhabitable. So something had to happen between verse 1 and verse 2. Because when you look at verse 2, and it says the earth was without form and void, that word was in the Hebrew actually means and it was so or it came to pass. So let's read it again, knowing the Hebrew this time. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth, it came to pass on the earth, or it was so on the earth, it was without form and void, or it was tohu babohu. It was formless, it was confused, it had unreality, it was empty, it was in chaos, it was wasted. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So what happened? We see later in this chap chapter, Adam is made. But we see in verse 1 and 2, there is a pre-Adamic creation. There is a pre-Adamic creation. Do you have other scriptures for it? Go to Isaiah 14. So what happened to the pre-Adamic creation? What happened to the pre-Adamic creation? Isaiah 14, verse 12. It says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Who's Lucifer? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Notice something about this phrase where it talks about Satan. He said, I will exalt my throne. 
So before Satan fell, before verse 2, Satan, who was known as Lucifer then, had a throne. But notice he says he wants to move it above the stars. So his domain or his dominion was limited. And it was below the stars. Right? So he tried to move up, and God said, not happening. Not today, devil, not tomorrow. Jesus said, Luke 10, 18, I beheld Satan fall as lightning. What would happen if something all the way up in heaven, far beyond these stars, plummet to earth like lightning? Think about the destruction that would happen on earth just from the fall alone. And all those who f followed Satan fell as well. It's quite possible that his dominion was on the earth. You read more about that, about him and Ezekiel, what he had before the fall. But go to Jeremiah 4, 23 and see what else happened before verse 2. Next book over, Jeremiah 4, 23. Jeremiah 4, 23. Notice what the prophet says. I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void. Same phrase, even the same in Hebrew, tohu babohu. And the heavens, they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. I beheld, and lo, there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens were fled. I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down of the presence of the Lord, and by his fierce anger. For thus hath the Lord said, the whole land shall be desolate, yet will I not make a full end. Satan plummets to earth. Those who follow him plummet to earth. And what is the judgment that comes under the dominion where Satan was? You see, it was broken down at the presence of the Lord. The glory of God is as creative and as good as it is destructive of evil. So what happened? God removed his glory from the earth. And what happened? Everything broke down. And then you get to verse 2. Go back to Genesis 1. So now you know how the earth became without form and void and why darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now, how long was it between Satan's fall and how long did the earth stay without form and void? The Bible doesn't say. The Bible does not say how old the earth is. People reading the book say, well, it has to be around 6,000 years because man is only 6,000 years old. Yes, man is nearly 6,000 years old, but it doesn't mean the earth is. So how old is the earth? As long as scientists need it to be. The Bible does not debate the issue of how old the earth is. But you see in between verse 1 and verse 2 where that time takes place. So the whole world is a mess. But 
The Spirit of God was moving upon those waters. Just a side note, your life may be a mess, but the Holy Ghost ain't afraid of your mess. Because if he'll move over the waters, he can move over your life. And so the Holy Ghost is moving, but nothing changes until God says something. So the Holy Ghost is moving over your life, but it won't change until you say something. How did you get born again? Your life was a mess. You were in sin. But the Holy Ghost moved on your heart. You opened your mouth and confessed Jesus, Lord. You believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you were saved. The Holy Ghost had been moving upon you, but nothing changed until you said something. So the Holy Ghost is already moving on over your mess. He's reigning. There's a fabulous outpouring from heaven. But you must say something. Back to the notes. And God said, let there be light. Why? There was darkness upon the face of the waters. And there was light. And God saw the light and that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness to call night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. So God removed his presence from the earth, and he did. But you see, a few days later, the sun, the moon, and the stars are introduced. So what light is he talking about? Because he didn't create the sun then. He didn't create the moon there. What's happening? He's reintroducing his glory to the earth. In other words, it's like, I'm back. And then he goes through what we know as the creation account or the recreation of this planet. Go to verse 26. Another question we're going to answer today. Is the, does the Bible teach that woman is a lesser creation to man or inferior to mankind? So what people have done using the Bible is what the same thing they did concerning slavery, which we covered last week. They misinterpret and misuse the word of God to burden people down. So let's see what the word of God actually has to say. And some of you come from more traditional backgrounds. The word of God will set you free. Genesis 1, 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed who? And God said unto who? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. It wasn't until after the fall that Adam named his wife Eve. And the mind of God in the beginning, it is male Adam and female Adam. He blessed male and female Adam. He gave dominion to male and female Adam. So in God's eyes, there's equality. Right? God uses both men and women alike. In the Old Testament and under the law, God used women mightily just as well as men. Exodus 15, 21, Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron, is called a prophetess. Judges 4, Deborah is a wife, prophetess, and judge of Israel. She's the one telling everybody what to do. Even the general said, I won't go to battle unless you come with me. Isaiah 8, 3, the wife of Isaiah is called a prophetess. 
Second Chronicles 34, 22, Hulda is, the, is a wife and a prophetess, and the king sends people to get understanding and wisdom from her. Under the ministry of Jesus, a number of his ministry partners who traveled with the 12 apostles were women such as Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and Luke 8, 3 says there were many others. So don't let anyone tell you God can't use you because you are a woman. Go to Numbers 27. I want to show you how the Bible has always been far advanced concerning women's rights. Numbers 27. Numbers 27. You'll see in this story five women who are daughters of the same man, come to Moses and said, our father has died. He didn't die in the rebellion in the wilderness where the earth swallowed him up, but he died in his own sin. Why should his name disappear from among the tribes of Israel? We need our inheritance. Up till then, women would not have received inheritance or property or land rights. What did God have to say about that? Verse five, and Moses brought their cause before the Lord and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad, imagine if that was your name, speak right. You shall surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and you shall cause an inheritance of their father to pass unto them. Why is this important? Throughout modern time, it wasn't until 1900 that majority of the modern world allowed women to have inheritance and property rights. The law was ahead in women's rights by 3,400 years. Notice how God sees things. And especially God moving through Pentecostal, charismatic, word of faith, churches and ministries. It has done more for the liberation of women in ministry than any other denomination. You have Mariah Woodworth Edder before Azusa Street. They didn't believe in women preachers, they didn't believe in healing, but God used her mightily. She would go to places and the power of God would be so strong on her, people would fall by the hundreds to the ground under the power of God. There are stories of her coming through on a train, and bars were empty out just because her train went through that place. If you spoke bad about her ministry in a 40-mile radius, you were slain in the spirit and had a vision of heaven or hell and got up repentant. Then after Azusa Street, you have one of my favorite Pentecostal generals, Amy Simple McPherson. First person, first woman to drive from the East Coast to the West Coast. In an automobile. First woman to ever preach on radio, to have her own radio station. Built a church that sat 5,400 people in the 20s. She had 21 services a week. The doctor told her she needed to rest, so she only preached 10. <laughs> Marvelous healings and testimonies all throughout her ministry. The four-square denomination was started from her ministry. You can go on and see more names you recognize today. Marilyn Hickey, Joyce Meyer. Thank God for them. God will use women just as he will men. Well, doesn't Paul not like women? Didn't Paul say women should shut up in church? Go to 1 Corinthians 14. See, people will use this one way to keep people bound, 
or we use it another way to make people not believe the word of God. Because then people say, well, the Bible doesn't taught that, but it doesn't matter now because it's 2017. But if they can use that, then it says well, the other scriptures don't matter. And it eventually unravel to how do you know you're really saved? Go to 1 Corinthians 14. What did Paul really say? First Corinthians 14, verse 34. Let's back up to verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also says the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Keep your finger here and go to 1 Timothy 2.11. First Timothy 2.11. That's what also the Holy Ghost says to me of Paul. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. It says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, people will use these scriptures and say, see, Paul didn't want women to talk in the church. Paul didn't like women. He thought they should be under his foot and blah, 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 blah. But let's break it down a little bit further. Paul is not saying that women should not talk in the church or be subservient to men. The word man and woman is also translated husband and wife. The word man and woman here is also translated husband and wife. So what is Paul saying in 1 Timothy 2? He did not want the wife to dominate or usurp authority over her husband. Translate scripture in the light of scripture. But what about 1 Corinthians 14, where it says, let them keep silence in the churches? Why would he bring that up? Remember, you have to understand who the Bible is written to and why it was written. Remember, in the Corinthian church, he's addressing all types of confusion, all types of chaos going on. And in part of those churches at the time, because of the custom of the cities, men would sit in one area and women would sit in the other area. And because of the custom of that day, a number of women weren't educated in how to read. And so when the man and woman of God would preach, because there are women preachers, we'll get to that in a minute, if the wife did not understand, she would ask her husband across the aisle. And how many know it doesn't take many questions for there to be confusion? Right? So he's not saying they shouldn't talk in church. He's not saying they shouldn't have a ministry role. How do you know that? Go to Romans 16. Romans 16, verse 1. The whole issue in these scriptures is about order in the home and not people not talking in church. Romans 16, 1. He says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sincera. Wait a minute. This word servant is a word also translated deacon. She is a deaconess. And he's writing unto her, giving her commendation. And what does he tell the church to do? 
receive her in the Lord as become saints, and you assist her in whatsoever business she has need of you. For she has been a secure of many and of myself also. So he didn't say when she gets there, you take over and you tell her what to do. He says, you men and you women at the church, you help this deaconess. Next, verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, the married couple. Priscilla is the wife, Aquila is the husband. Notice the order he greeted them. He said the wife's name first instead of the husband. Why is that? Most scholars believe that Priscilla was the pastor of the church, not Aquila. Oh, I'm messing with people's doctrine already. Verse 6, greet Mary who bestowed much labor on us. Verse 12, salute Tryphena and Typhosa who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis which labor much in the Lord. Salute Rufus chosen the Lord and his mother and mine. Then list all these people. And the next six, two of them are female. But you wouldn't realize that because you don't know these Greek names, Roman names. And then it's and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. So if Paul didn't believe women in ministry, why would he say, hey, tell everybody I said hi? Acts 21, 9, he's traveling through, and they stay at the house of Philip the great evangelist. You hear about earlier of the book of Acts. He has three daughters that prophesy. They're prophesying at the church meeting. If Paul didn't believe that, he would have told them, y'all need to be quiet. That's not Jesus. That's a devil. God doesn't speak through women. Right? So now we have that settled. Next question. Is man the head of woman? Go to 1 Corinthians 11. You know, I thought the men would be quiet, but I thought Lisa would have some amens from the ladies today. But it's everybody's quiet. 1 Corinthians 11.3. Always interpret Scripture in the light of Scripture. Knows what Paul says, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, let's break down what he means by the word every. Now, is the head of every man Christ? No. The head of every Christian man is Christ, right? Remember who Paul's writing to. He's writing to the church. So he's talking, that same word man there is translated husband. So then he gets to the head of every wife is her husband. Just because you're a man doesn't mean you can tell any woman what to do. If you don't believe it's true, try it. And I will be visiting you in the hospital this week. Now, why would God say the head of every wife is her husband? Because God is a God of order. And anything with two heads is a freak. Go to Ephesians 5.21. Well, pastor, doesn't the Bible says woman should submit to man? No, it actually doesn't. It does say wives submit to your husbands. But this time, instead of quoting that verse, because some people only know that verse, start with Ephesians 5, verse 21.
to submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Starting with verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another. Now, when I have staff meetings, my minister staff gather around, they all have different areas of expertise. Some of them have multiple degrees in one area. Some of them have decades of experience in another area. And there'll be times I'll ask them a question, what do you think about this? And they give their advice, their suggestion, and their wisdom, but it comes down to me to make the decision. I would be stupid not to ask people for wisdom, especially if I have a team that has wisdom. I will ask them these questions. What do you see about this? What do you see about this? And if they have a better idea, I'm going to submit to that idea. Doesn't mean that I work for them now. It just means I understand wisdom. So Paul is telling the whole church in Ephesus, submit yourselves one to another. Not be everybody's slave, but submit or subject each other in love. Seek for different ways to help each other out to please one another. And in that same mentality, that same mindset, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. So what happens? If there is a decision to be made in the marriage or in the home, and there is a difference of opinion, it is the husband's job to make the decision. Y'all just so quiet on me. <laughs> if there is a difference of opinion, it is the husband's job to make the decision. So ladies, never marry a man you can't submit to. If you can't follow him, you better not keep dating him. Yeah, I'm going to meddle. It's fun. It doesn't matter how he looks or how much money his bank account got. Because if you can't follow him, you are marrying to a life of hell. Well, I'll get him saved. I'll change him. No, you won't. Do you know how many women have said that for millennia? Well, he doesn't go to church, but when we get married, he's going to start going to church. No, he ain't. He's watching football. If he's not consistently going to church before you met him, he's not going to keep going after you get married. Now, he may start going to church to date you so he can catch you so he can marry you. But after he says, I do, and the honeymoon is over, you go on by yourself. Men, never marry somebody who won't follow you. Doesn't matter how she looks. Doesn't matter if it's everything you want. Because after I do, well, let's flash back to that Fresh Prince episode when the earthquake happened. <laughs> and they got trapped downstairs. Everything came off. Just because you can see it doesn't mean it's real. And these days, ladies, just because they have hair doesn't mean it's real. Lord, have mercy. So you can't make decisions just because of what you see, because what you see changes, or it could be fake. 
So you must make a decision on who you believe is going to have your back and follow you when you make a decision. But men, this also places an extra responsibility on you. That means you need to be before God in such a consistent place, you know where you're taking your family. It's easier for believing women to follow you if they know you can hear from God. But if you're never praying, never at church, never reading your word, they have an issue following you because they don't know you're following Christ. One of the things I tell the men all the time in our men's meetings is you should be the most spiritual person in the home. Thank God for the spirituality of wives, the spirituality of women. But men should, if they're going to leave the home, they should be the most spiritual. They should be the ones seen praying. They should be the ones in the Word. They should be the ones encouraging the kids to go to church, not just the wife. This does not replace the responsibility women have spiritually. The responsibility wives have for praying over the home, that does not replace it. But men, I'm calling you to rise up. Be men of God. Be leaders of your home of faith, love, purity. Be leaders of your home in prayer and reading the Word. Yes, you should have your own private time by yourself, but let your family see you pray. Let your family see you read the word. Let your kids hear you pray in other tongues. Because what happens, they don't just hear the pastor, the youth pastor, the kids minister preach to them about that. They see you live it. So Paul is saying these things for the sake of order in the home, not saying that somebody is greater than the other. Because it takes strength to submit. And if you don't think it takes strength to submit, you've never submitted. Because he says, well, I don't have to submit. We just agree. Submission is a submission to this disagreement. And Americans don't like to submit to nothing. We're Americans. We love to rebel. We don't want to submit to the word of God. We don't want to submit to spiritual leadership. So it trickles down the home, and you wonder why your kids don't want to submit to you. Don't think, oh, I just got some bad kids. Maybe they got some bad examples. What if, see, this is nowhere in my notes, but I'm having fun. What if God parented you the same way you parent your kids? See, y'all always try to make me do another family series. You have to understand, your kids will mirror what you do. Where do they get that from? Look at yourself first. Before he says, oh, that's that bad kid in their class, I know it. Look at yourself first. Examine yourself, whether you are in the faith. You must show them the position of submitting to the word of God and to what God has said, and they will follow their lead. And as you have to correct them, you know you're correcting them to the right path. Go to Galatians 3.28. Move to something else. <laughs> Not sure how many people are subscribing to the podcast this week. Galatians 3.28. Why did Paul have to say all that stuff to the Corinthians? Because they were a mess. Confused where there's strife and envy, there's every evil work. And although they had the gifts of the Spirit, 
although they had the movement of the Holy Ghost, they had a lot of mess. So Paul had to write this first long letter to get them in order. Because the blessing is on unity. Not division. Not pride. It's on unity. Galatians 3.28. We used this verse last week, but it bears repeating. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, just because your gender, your race, or your status does not make you greater in Christ Jesus. We are all one. Amen? Go to Romans 12. Dealing with our last question. With what we have learned in this series, how do we have a biblical worldview? With what we have learned in this series, how do we have a biblical worldview? Romans 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word renew means to renovate. So how do you renovate your mind or your mentality, your mindset? You renew your mind by the consistent hearing, reading, and application of the word of God. From what we've gone through this month, you know you can trust the word. So you need to read it consistently, you need to hear it consistently, and you need to apply it consistently if you want your mind to change. Just because you are born again doesn't mean you think right. Nothing changed with your mind. Your spirit changed. So you can have the same mindset you did before you got saved. And if you never change it, you'll see, you won't see much of a difference in your life. That's why you have believers behaving badly, as Bishop Marvin L. Wynas says. Why did that happen? They never changed their mind. And they didn't apply the word. Some people think, well, Christians are automatically perfect. No, they ain't. How many know Christians aren't perfect? And most of y'all know that. If not, just hang around us a little bit longer, you'll realize <laughs> no one's perfect. But there is a growth process in the kingdom of God. And you grow as you consistently hear, read, and do. There has to be consistent application of the word of God, not just sometimes. You need to hear the word of God preached to you on a consistent basis, which means you don't just come to church every other Sunday or every six weeks or when you feel moved when you wake up. You come to church because you believe in getting the word and you value the word. But Sunday and Wednesday shouldn't be the only time you should hear the word preach. You should be listening to the word every day in addition to reading the word. And one of the things we've done is we've made all the messages that we preach from here on out free online. So you can get it on the podcast, you can download it from the website. So you can't say, well, I just can't find any. Yes, you can. We have to grow if we're going to do what God has for us to do. We can't stay stagnated. We can't stay at one level. Go to James 1. And as you turn there, I want to encourage you about something the Lord let me know. 
He says, if you were tempted to doubt the word of God, or you did doubt it, pay attention to the temptation of the flesh that arose in any area of your life. What happens to people who doubt the word? Or they say, well, the word doesn't, is not real for me anymore. They immediately change their lifestyle. All of a sudden, some sin of the flesh rises up, right? So what is the reason why Satan wanted them to doubt the word of God? He wanted them to doubt the word so they could engage in that sin, so he could steal, kill, and destroy. One of the things I've noticed from people who stop believing the word of God, their lifestyles don't get better. They don't enable helping more people. They become more and more loose with what they do because they say, well, I don't have to follow the restrictions of the word of God anymore. The whole purpose of Satan trying to get people to doubt the word is to get them out into a lifestyle of sin because the wages of sin is death. There's a reason why he's trying all he can to make people doubt the word. James 1. So if that was you, and you saw the area rise in your life, double down on the word and resist the devil. You don't have to give in to that temptation. James 1, 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Hear and do. Because if you don't, you deceive your own self. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So here the word of God is compared to as a mirror. How many of you, before you came to church today, looked in the mirror? A lot of you looked at more than once, right? Why? You're looking in the mirror to make sure that everything's right and presentable before you step out the house. Make sure you don't have any extra gunk in your eyes and your hair is, if you have hair, just somewhat where it's supposed to be. You have to look at the Word of God the same way. You look at the Word and you examine your life. Is my life in order? Or is somewhere area of my life out of order? When you hear, hear the word preach, it's doing the same thing, pointing out things that may be out of order in your life. Now, God doesn't show you things out of order to make you feel condemned to make you feel judged, to make you feel bad. He points out things so you can make a change. Because if God's calling you to make a change, it's because he loves you. And it's for your blessing. So treat the word of God as a mirror and look into it every single day. Let's wrap this up. Go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. One of the things in this series, we covered different belief systems, a few different cultic claims against Christianity, and we covered the difference between Islam and Christianity in brief a couple weeks ago. But this summer, we're going to do a course that's going to walk through every major world religion and major cult and show where it is different than what the Bible says and how you can minister to people in those religions and cults and bring them to Jesus. It's called the Fishers of Men course. It's going to be this summer, and you can sign up for it in the lobby. It's going to be free. What we're doing is enabling people. We're training them with the word of God so they can bless their neighborhood. I didn't have time to get into Buddhism or Hinduism or Confucianism. I didn't have time to get into more areas of the occult or different things, but we will get into it during that course and even more things concerning Islam. 
and show why you can trust the Word of God above all those other things. Amen? So you can sign up for that in the lobby as well. Revelation 12, verse 11. And they overcame him, Satan, the wicked one, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Notice one of these three, how they overcame the evil one, the word of their testimony. Your testimony has a unique anointing on it that no one else has. Only you can tell your testimony. See, people can debate you about facts and figures all day long, but they can't take from you what God has done for you. They can say, well, I don't believe that. Well, you can't tell me what I just experienced. And as you begin to tell people your testimony, as you're led by the Spirit of God, that anointing will come into the room. What happens when the anointing shows up? Burdens are removed. Yokes are destroyed, and hearts have the opportunity to grow softer. So as you are led by God, you need to share your testimony. Some of you say, well, I don't have a testimony. I remember, wow, it was about 23 years ago, we had Joseph Jennings come through. And he would share his testimony, how he was shot nine times, all this stuff, he almost died, and God saved him. Thank God for that testimony. But the same testimony, same God that can save you and bring you out from that mess, it's the same God who keep, can keep you from ever going through mess. So you might say, well, I don't have a big testimony. You can say, well, I've grown up in church. I never really experienced anything super bad. You can just tell them, well, God kept me. And the same God that can keep me can deliver you and keep you too. You have a testimony. And your testimony has power. As the Holy Ghost leaves you, you need to share your testimony. What he tells you to share. Notice, there could be things the Holy Ghost says, don't talk about that to them yet. They ain't ready for it. And some of you, because I got a long testimony, how much time you got, you're going to lose them. <laughs> Share your testimony in a bite-sized bit as the Holy Ghost leads you. What are you doing? You're fulfilling 1 Peter 3.15. You're giving everyone an answer or defense for the hope that's within you, why you believe what you believe. You can go through these things we taught over the last four weeks, but then you can make it personal. I've told you this facts. This is why I believe the word of God, but let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Let me tell you how he saved me, how he forgave me, how he healed me, how he delivered me, how he strengthened me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he helped me here, how he gave me wisdom, how he put my family together, how he did this, how he did that, how he did this, how he did that. Because now it's very personal to you. And what happens, you'll have times where people will open up to you. And they're just like, well, could he, will he do it for me? When the door opens, say, yes, he will. You take them to Romans 10, 8 through 10. You show them where the word says that if they confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God has raised them from the dead, they shall be saved. Then you take them to verse 13, that any who come to the Lord, he will not turn them away. All who call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. You tell them that scripture, then you lead them in the prayer that we do every week. You lead them and have them say, Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come in my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live the Christian life. 
What do you do after they pray that prayer? Take them to church. And we'll take it from here. We all have a responsibility for winning people. Now you know why you believe what you believe. And you know your responsibility towards it. Amen. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and thank God for the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it can be trusted. We thank you that it is relevant and applies to our life today. We thank you that you help us rightfully interpret Scripture in the light of Scripture so we can live a life that makes Jesus famous in our everyday life. Every head bow, every eye closed in prayer, you can put your hands down. Every head bow, every eye closed in prayer. No one moving or walking unless you've been assigned to do so. Please keep your feet in the house. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.